Hey there, I'm Becca Campbell, your pediatric sleep consultant. Welcome to the Little Z Sleep Podcast, where we make getting sleep help easy because you deserve to be a happy, healthy, and well-rested family. Today, I have a topic that, gosh, this really needs to be addressed. Through the years, I have received messages from families asking, do you work with special needs? My child has sensory processing. We have developmental delays. Can sleep still be a thing? And the answer is, of course. I believe every child, every child needs sleep. Every person, every human needs sleep. It is just something that is just as important as breathing, sleeping, breathing, eating. There's a reason they call it eat, play, sleep because those things are so important. And so when we look at sensory processing, developmental delays, special needs. I am not the expert to speak into that, but today on the podcast, I have someone who is an expert. Dr. Erin DeCampo is joining me and she is a Little Z's sleep grad with her um, now nine-month-old, but um, they did our programs at seven months old. Erin has her doctorate in occupational therapy with an emphasis in pediatric neurology. She works with children that have sensory processing difficulties, disabilities, and various other developmental delays. She has clinical experience, a lot of knowledge, and she actually asked to be a guest on this podcast. And I'm so glad she sent that message because this is a good one. If you have a child who is in therapy for developmental delays or sensory processing or any type of disability, this is a podcast to listen to, um, to get some insights on, and to really get motivated to speak with your own therapist about your child's needs that can help with sleep. Um, we kind of jump a little bit here and there, um, just FYI, because I had a bunch of different thoughts. But what I want you to know is Aaron is going to share with us some different things that you can try um, that will help your little one work through their routines. And I love how she talks about your child is in these therapies. They're in these settings where they are told what to do and how to do it. And then all of a sudden, we we present them with bedtime but we don't tell them how to do it or what to do. And of course that's confusing for them. So Dr. Aaron has so many great insights for us. I know you're going to enjoy this. I would ask you to share this with a family that you know, or maybe in your community of um, special needs or sensory processing family. You guys are so well-connected and you're so supportive of each other. And I, I think this podcast is going to be insanely helpful. So if you can just hit that little box with the arrow, if you're on our podcast app, just share this with your community. I would be ever grateful. Um, I hope you guys enjoy this podcast interview with Dr. Aaron. Thank you so much, Aaron, for reaching out and your expertise. I'm an occupational therapist. Um, I've pretty much always worked in pediatrics. I had a little bit of experience in hospital rehab, but pediatrics has always been like my favorite thing, of course, um, and worked from a variety, mostly in clinic. But one of the places that was really fun was um, like hippotherapy with horses and kids. Wow. Um, yeah. So that's where a lot of my sensory knowledge came from. Um, because kids being on a horse gives them so much input and, you know, different experiences, um, that they just can't get anywhere else. So that was, uh, a lot of knowledge came from that. Um, and then sleep has just been a thing that's parents all the time, you know, mention that their kids, uh, struggle with sleep, um, and they can't get a routine down. And a lot of the times, sometimes I even have to ask parents, like, 
okay, you know, how is sleep going? Because they're just so used to their kid being not a good sleeper mm. that, you know, they don't even bring it up anymore. It's just like their way of life and acceptance. Yeah. So, <laughs> so when it comes, um, when it comes to, I want to lean into that bedtime routine, like you said, uh, or like basically like when you were saying, how is sleep going? And there's no routines in place. A bedtime routine, and I, we're, I'm probably jumping ahead of myself, but a bedtime routine for a child who um, who has special needs or has any type of sensory processing, a bedtime routine is probably even more important than it is for right. um, you know someone who doesn't have special needs or doesn't have sensory processing. I think those routines, uh, and I know just very, very, very tiny, tiny bit about. Um, my niece, who I, I mentioned that a second ago, uh, my niece who's special needs, like the girl thrives off of like, this is what we do every day. And on Saturdays mm-hmm. and Sundays, when the, when the routine is off, it's like, nope, I don't like this, you know? And so, <laughs> can you speak a little bit to the sleep routines for a child who, uh, like you said, who has maybe dev- developmental delays or sensory processing, how important are those bedtime routines for them? Yeah. So we think about, um, especially our kids that are in multiple therapies a week, and they have therapies at school. So all day, every day, they're being told what to do, when to do it, how to do it. And then we put them in bed at the end of the day and expect them to know what to do now. Um, so that routine is super important. So a lot of like the sleep strategies you already teach um, sometimes work for kids. Um, and then where we come in as OTs um, is helping parents kind of pick the right sensory tools for their kid. So it's kind of like, um, you know, with working now, if I do a Google search on like what workouts are going to help me lose weight, I'll find tons of results and I'll find one like running that works for so many people. Seems like a great idea. And I hate running. It's not fun. And it's, it's not going to work for me. (laughs) You know, it's not going to help me lose weight or anything like that. So same thing, parents, they do a Google search on, how to help their kid with autism or ADHD or any disorder um, sleep. And they're going to find tons of results and they're going to try it and then get bummed when it doesn't work and assume it's just not, nothing's going to work for them. Um, so we come in and trying to help them pick the right things for their routine. Um, so to kind of lead into like the background of like sensory processing, um, right. We have all our five senses that everyone kind of knows our sight, our sound. Um, but then we have a couple more that people aren't as familiar with. So there's that proprioception, that ability to know where your body is in space. Um, and then like deep pressure, they like that squeezing that's also in that proprioception. Um, and then the other one is that interoception. So that one plays a big role in their sleep, but that's your ability to know if you're hungry, to know, if you're tired, if you're really awake, some of the kids really struggle with knowing when they're tired. They just don't even feel it. Um, and so that's all about sensory processing. So if a kid is struggling with any of those areas, um, then we need to step in and kind of help them. So for example, a lot of families try um, massage um, because that's one of the very common bedtime routines. So But if your kid doesn't like sensation, doesn't like to be touched, you know, you're going to have this huge meltdown and it's going to feel, you know, really discouraging for the parent because they thought that was such a great idea. Um, So we try to help them if they if they're if we know that their kid doesn't like touch, we're not going to recommend that for them. Um, And then their routine, you're going to add in a little bit more 
um, movement, um, but it has to be, again, <laughs> just the right kind of movement because sensory isn't complicated enough. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, right. <laughs> um, so we always tell parents, you know, things like that are really uh, high vestibular activities. So like jumping and rolling around, try not to do that too close to bedtime. Because, you know, what happens when we put a kid in a jumper, they go like crazy in a bouncy house, you know, they, it winds them up. So jumping tends to get used a little too much, like those trampolines. Um, you want to kind of stop those before your bedtime routine um, to help kind of calm their mind. Um, another thing I love to have parents add into their routine um, is what we call heavy work. So really getting those muscles working. Um, but obviously it has to be goal oriented for that child. Um, so one of my favorite things, um, you know, if your kid can follow multiple directions, um, is I love to have kids take off their blankets off their bed, put it in a laundry basket and push that laundry basket to either the living room or to the laundry room. Um, or if parents don't want their kid destroying their bed every night and morning, um, grabbing the toys that they want to take play with that day from their room and pushing it in a laundry basket out to the living room and then pushing it back in at the end of the day. So kind of incorporate that into their daily routines as well. Um, let's see what else. And then, yeah, it just goes down to picking that right sensory input for their kid. Um, you know, I mean, I could, I can, I'm trying to contain myself because I could just go down so many rabbit holes <laughs> with like, Oh, if your kid is this seeking, you know, do this, if they're like this, do that. Um, but you said like and, it could yeah. be really different per kid. So, um, right. I'm thinking about like, um, I'm just going to use my niece cause it's obviously the closest, um, example that I've talked to my sister a lot about like Sloan is that like pressure. So, um, we yeah. talked about like a weighted blanket for her. Can you speak into, um, weighted blanket options? Are those good things for children, um, with processing, yeah. sens especially sensory? Yeah. So, and that's a really common one. Um, parents say, so, um, I love weighted blankets. I think they're great. It's just a matter of using it properly. So the one downside, I don't always recommend them, especially for like my toddlers, because right. There's, um, you need the right amount of weight for your body weight and kids are growing so fast. <laughs> so it's kind of like you have to buy a whole new one, like every so often. And I always try to keep parents from spending too much money. Um, so the weighted blankets are great, um, especially for our older kids who are kind of, you know, not going through too much of a growth spurt. Um, and then that's the other thing. Sometimes parents pick a weight that's too low or too high. Um, so you just want to, and there's, if you just Google uh, weighted blanket calculator, they can type in um, how much a blanket needs to be for their child. Um, and then the other thing though, that I love to recommend um, is a thing called Lycra sheets. Um, so these are made out of lycra material and they go over the whole mattress and then the kid goes inside. So it's almost like a little, you make like a little sleeping bag. Um, and that lycra is very stretchy. It's like the swimsuit material. So then that one, I like a little bit more for proprioception because one, uh, kids can't just take it with them, right? Weighted blankets. Sometimes kids take it and they are just watching TV with a weighted blanket on. Um, you know, if we want to help it with sleep, we want it to stay associated with sleep. Um, so that's why I love those like Lycra sheets because they just tuck in and it squeezes them nice and tight. And when they move, when they roll over, they're still getting even more pressure every time they move. Um, so that kind of helps with those like night wakings. If they roll over, they get that 
nice pressure to help them go back to sleep. Yes. that And you know what I also like about that too, is it's not something that the parent has to go in throughout the nighttime and like reset for them. Cause like a weighted blanket, especially in the middle of the night, like you can get frustrated, like, ah, I fell on the floor. I got to like pick it back up. And then that's like a whole nother middle of the night, uh, you know, stimulation and awake and they got to call me back right. down, like get your blanket. And it's just could be a whole thing. So I love that idea of the sheets that, yeah, it's like a cocoon around you. That would be, mm-hmm. I love that. I'm going to have to check that out and, um, weighted blanket calculator. Yes. Okay. I'm going to put it, I'll find one and I'll put a link in the show notes about that. That's a great idea too. So how can, and I know I'm kind of, I even strayed away from where I was like, oh, this is what I wanted to ask you pointedly. Um, yeah. How can sensory processing, how does that affect a child's sleep? Is it because of the routines? Is it because of uh, all those different touch points that you were just talking about? How does, how is sleep impacted if your child has developmental delays or sensory processing or anything like that? Yeah. So um, I like to give parents that example of like the nails on the chalkboard. We can pretty much all relate to that. Just how like, you know, you're just uncomfortable. Um, And then you imagine you don't know like where that sound is coming from. You know, you're just hearing it. So it's kind of like that for kids um, with sensory processing. There's something going on. Something just doesn't feel right. And a lot of times kids can't um, tell us what that is. Um, It's just driving them crazy. Um, and so we have to kind of help them figure that out. So imagine trying to go to sleep when there's nails on the chalkboard or like when, you know, you hear a sound and you don't know where it's coming from in your house and it's just driving you nuts. Um, so same thing that's going to really impact sleep if they're not able to, um, regulate themselves and figure out what's going on and get the input that they need before going to sleep. Um, and then yes, um, the routine is going to play a huge part, um, kids thrive, right? We know they thrive on consistency, but also that predictability. Um, Knowing what's going to come next um, is another big one because anxiety is something else that we see a lot um, with multiple disorders. Um, And so, and just as adults too, trying to go to bed when you're feeling anxious is almost impossible. (laughs) Um, So that's another part of helping set up their routine, make it predictable. We love, you know, visual schedules. are so great for kids. Um, another one that I love is um, what we call like video feedback. So sometimes you can do like a, a pretend bedtime routine and record it um, and have record the kid doing that whole bedtime routine and then going into bed and, you know, it's just playful. Um, and then at night when it actually is time to go through that routine, you can give them that video and then they're seeing what they need to do next. Um, and kids just love idea. recording. <laughs> Yeah. So it's fun for kids too. They love it. (laughs) Oh, I like that so much. And even like, gosh, even for, um, I'm thinking through just a to- like a toddler who is just, uh, it was a little, I'm maybe toddler, like three years old toddler. Um, yeah, gosh, I'm, that's such a great idea. I'd never thought about that before because, uh, <laughs> especially seeing if it's the child doing it and the parent has recorded that, like seeing them do that, then someone's like, I can do that. Like I can, obviously I did it there. Right. I can do it now. I love that idea. That's fantastic. <laughs> I like yeah. That and yeah. That predictability is, is so important for them. Um, and then too, sometimes kids, right. They don't like change. Um, so if you do it in a pretend setting first, like, okay, we're not really going to bed. Don't worry. It's not bedtime. You know, they're more likely to follow through on that, like recording of it. Cause it's just pretend we're just playing right now. Um, and then again, that helps them later on. That's so cool. Let me ask you this. I'm thinking of two things that 
for little Z's is like, oh, this is like foundation. Every kid must do this. But again, every kid is different in in this world. So I want to know if you can speak into white noise. Is that something you've Mm -hmm. seen? Like, oh, like as soon as you said nails on the chalkboard, I'm like, I bet there are some children out there who are like white. That's it. Like the white noise is just nails on the chalkboard for me. And then darkness. So I'm like all about like dark as can be. That's how we sleep best. Um, but again, for a child who maybe doesn't understand what's going on around them, um, for a child who's having difficulty with that, could you speak into white noise and darkness? How would we know like, Oh, maybe I should cut back on that as maybe, I guess it's a trial and error thing. I don't know. So yeah, definitely trial and error is always what we were doing with our sensory kiddos. Um, just when we think we figured them out, you know, they change it up on us. <laughs> um, so yeah, so white noise, um, I still always recommend families at least start with that and then see, but you know, when we first see a kid for an evaluation, we do like a sensory profile on them and really get to know like, okay, let's see where, what areas they're avoiding and what areas they're seeking and what they're just not noticing, things like that. Um, so if I see that a kid is like really sensitive to auditory input, if that registers like really high, then I'm maybe we won't do a sound machine or we'll just experiment with different sounds. Um, I love like, um, maybe I'll have to send you the link. The sound machine that I have has like different types of white noise. So white noise and pink noise. And yes. brown. I didn't even know there were so many types of noises. <laughs> um, so your child might need a different, just a different sound. Um, or they might need complete silence. Um, and so we'll try, we try to work with families on that. And then, um, yeah, lighting is a big one. So sometimes kids, um, again, generally, right. We do like that darkness because, um, kids get so easily distracted. And so if it's nice and dark, um, that's always nice. That'll encourage the sleep. And it's again, when it's such a unique environment, it helps them understand it even more because it's like, okay, I'm never in complete darkness. Like, so there's only one thing I'm here to do. Yeah. Um, so I do like that, but sometimes kids do benefit from like a little bit of a nightlight. Like they get, you know, especially our kids that get anxious. If it's completely dark, that's not going to work from them. Um, so what I like to do is either like the hatch light or any of those like sunset lights where you can change the color of the light. Sometimes we can kind of repurpose that to also serve as like a cue for them. Um, so I tell parents like set it to red, set that light to red. So then they have another cue of like, okay, red means stop. Red means, you know, it's not time to get up and go yet. Um, and so we can kind of repurpose those nightlights to serve like an additional purpose. Um, and then, you know, some, most kids, I like to keep like a, just a single light. Um, usually that works best, but if sometimes if you have a kid who is visually seeking and it really does, it truly does calm them down. Um, you can get something like, um, like we love if your kid is, you know, you'll know your kid is safe, but like a lava lamp can be really great. If you know, they're not going to go run and touch it. Um, lava lamps are so much fun for kids, you know, and it's very relaxing. Um, or sometimes watching right before bed, if they're seeking a visual input, um, putting on like, I know Disney plus has like the scenery of like the sunrise over Disney world. Um, or Netflix has like the fireplace at home, um, video, you know, something like that. That's very calming and can give them a little bit of input and we can start to phase it out, um, as we need to. Oh, those are really good suggestions. And especially the calm down. Um, and I can also see transitioning from, you know, if the, if the visual input has been like 
watch a movie, watch a show, watch this. Then like cold Turkey, it's gone. It's like, Oh, we got to make change. Like, you know, that we want to try to fix that instead of cold Turkey and that introduce. I love the, I had a lava lamp. I loved falling asleep to my lava lamp. It was so Uh fun. Um, And uh, yeah, something like that or the, uh, the sunset. Yeah. My, yeah, that's, I, that's such a great idea. Small, simple changes that can really help. I think that's, that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. So are there any other considerations for developmental delays, disabilities in children's sleep? I think the biggest thing that I see that parents ask is like, well, can I even sleep train my kid? Can I even, can I even fix this? Because they, they have these developmental delays because they are special needs. My answer has always been like, I shared with you as soon as we got on here, like every kid needs sleep, (laughs) you know, it's going to, it's going to, um, be different tools that would help them, but are there any other considerations, any encouragement you would pass along to a family who is struggling with sleep, but they're kind of using that like, well, my kid has special needs or they have developmental delays or they're sensory processing. So they can't, how would you encourage them? Yeah. So, I mean, definitely any kid, like, I mean, there's really no question about it. It's not, you know, it's kind of like eventually a kid needs to be toilet trained, you know, I mean, obviously there's exceptions, but you know, it's just something that needs to be done. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely think that all families can get that sleep training. Sometimes, um, it's going to take a little bit longer because you're not only trying to adjust them to the routine, but you're also trying to find, um, that right sensory input for them. Um, so I always tell parents like, you know, I mean, just really like the sleep training, like the first few times are going to be a little rough. Like it's going to be a change, you know, you're changing things up on them. Um, we want them to sleep in their own bed and, you know, um, work on that, but, you know, give it time. We also want to figure out what sensory needs they have. Um, so if the kid is already seeing an occupational therapist, um, parents should definitely go talk to them to see what, you know, what does my kid like, you know, is there things that you've tried that he doesn't like? You know, that might give you a little bit of a head start on where um, where you can begin for setting up that routine. Um, and then there's other considerations too. We have kids who um, are on oxygen all night, so parent might have to go in if it slipped off their nose. You know, things like that, and that's just going to happen. Um, and we try. It's so hard when your kid wakes up in the middle of the night, but we try to teach parents to be very empathetic because nobody wants to wake up at midnight, you know, two in the morning. Um, and so they need that help. You're just there to try to support them, get them through it. Um, you know, and once you kind of realize like, Hey, they're struggling too. Um, that kind of helps parents like, okay, let's just get through this. You know, well, I'm going to help you. We're going to do this together and go back to sleep. Um, and typically when you're changing that sensory stuff, changing that routine, same with the sleep training, like give it a couple weeks. Um, you know, you'll know if your kid absolutely hates it. You know, if you're touching him, he's running away from you. Okay, pretty quick, you can stop massage. Um, but, you know, if they're just kind of like, sometimes parents say like, when, especially when we introduce that heavy work of like, okay, push the basket across the room. And a lot of times they say like, my kid just ran away. Like I was trying to get them to do it and they didn't want to do it. Give that one a little bit more time because they're just kind of like, no, I'd rather watch TV or I'd rather play my game. Like, I don't want to push a laundry basket across the room, Um, you know, so give that type of input, give it more time, give it a couple of weeks to really like, hey, this is what we do every morning. You know, we do this activity 
And every night we do this activity um, to just kind of help them understand they have to build that routine. And even sometimes when I see kids in the clinic, um, sometimes I have to set up if kids really don't understand, you know, um, routines yet, if they're like developmentally, they're just kind of, you know, in their own world and it's not really making sense to them. You know, we try to keep predictable and sometimes I will even have the kid for like a couple of weeks when they come see me do these same exact activities every week, the same exact spot, same exact chair so that they would like see like, oh, I go here and this is what I do. And it's very predictable for them. Then we kind of have to set up that environment to tell them what to do. Um, that's like that dimming the lights and, um, you know, having the right sheets, things like that. So I just tell parents to really give it time. Um, it really does take time. Um, your OT can definitely help you get in the right direction. Um, or hopefully if they have really worked with your kid for a while, they should already know what your kid likes and what they don't like. Um, and then of course, I tell parents all the time, expect change because like I said, they're consistently the most inconsistent kids. So if all of a sudden if massages have been um, working for you for months now and they love that massage, um, okay. And then all of a sudden now they don't want it anymore. That's going to happen. They're going to decide like, no, I don't want to be touched anymore. And they're just going to keep you on your toes. So I think it helps when parents know what's coming you know, um, just like in the sleep plan, right. When you do those, like read our minds of like, what's coming next, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, it's okay that this is happening because it's going to happen. Um, and it's not uncommon. Um, so I try to tell parents that as well. This is so helpful. And I know that it's easy to just quit on something within the first like 24, 48 hours. And you're like, well, this is hard. I'm just not going to do this. But from mm -hmm. what I'm hearing, what I'm experiencing, like it's so worth it, like stay consistent. Right. And yes, like yeah. things are going to change. Kids are not robots. You're going to have to like figure them out and they are a puzzle, but it is so rewarding when mm -hmm. they do connect with that sleep and they do, you know, you find those tools and you find those things. So this was so helpful for me. Um, and I know for others too, um, I'm going to put links below to all the things that you mentioned um, below as well for people, but this was so helpful. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. I feel like I have like all these other questions, like we could go on and on and on, but I'm like, okay, keep it condensed back. Oh, I know. I know. I have so many like notes. So I was like, okay, I could talk about this. I could say that. Yes. I well, I think we can, um, I've got like all these ideas too. So this will be so, super helpful, but thank you so much for joining us. This was awesome. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thank you. Again, guys, if you enjoyed this episode, I would so ask you to share this because I really believe this is going to be an important message um, to just continue to share across the sensory world, the special needs world, the disabilities world, the everything. So share this. Um, and I hope this gives you some great insight into how to speak with your child's therapist about things for you to try and a routine to get into and how important this all is. Sweet dreams. See you next time.